welcome back to Dreams of the Past podcast. Um, we left off part one, talking about some themes of Supernatural, and we're really excited to dive into part two with you. If you guys haven't heard part one of this episode, we recommend you go back and listen to part one before you dive into this one, just because the conversation really picks up where we left off in the last episode. All right, so welcome back, and let's dive into it. While we're on the topic of class, um, Mm -hmm. I think you know, class is clearly a big issue it's dealing with. And I think sort of hand in hand with that are some of the socioeconomic anxieties of the decade. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in current times, we think about the Great Recession and we think of everything that came before that as being, you know, relatively tranquil or mm-hmm. even successful in economic terms. Um, but that wasn't really true around the time the show was coming out, there was uh, economic downturn due to um, a downturn in motor vehicle sales and other pieces of the economy, as well as um, a rise in natural disasters, including Hurricane Katrina. But Katrina Uh, was 06, right? 06. 06. So the show came out before Katrina. Right. Right. but Katrina was right before uh, one of the cl- one of the episodes that we looked at that most clearly deals with class and economic anxieties came out, and that would be the Benders, mm-hmm. which I know we both have a lot of thoughts about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The socioeconomic anxieties of the Benders are just. It just whacks you in the face. Like, they are not trying to be subtle at all. And and we both had this in our notes where, like, we're like, okay, this show, this episode is set in Michigan, and they gave them all rural southern accents. (laughs) (laughs) And and we both put that in our notes, and I'm like, yeah, that's really weird. Yeah, and it's not just, like, some random part of Minnesota. It's in the heart of the Iron Range which has a very specific accent and even its own dialect. Like they didn't just like screw up. They (laughs) chose like a specific real world city that has a specific dialect associated with it and explicitly chose instead to use this rural Southern accent, very generic, not really specific to any region. Yeah. um, That is, very much a cultural shorthand for rural poverty. And it's also really interesting because um, I was noting this as they were doing the opening where they do the like introduction of the monster part. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the more rural, or sorry, not rural. It's one of the more urban openings. Like it actually takes place where the, the person who witnesses, which it, the, the kidnapping, which is a little boy is in an apartment and is in a, in a urban apartment overlooking an alleyway. And that's pretty rare for Supernatural to do. Like normally when the things happen, they either happen in an apartment, sure, but without like a clear sense of place um, and certainly not a clear sense of urbanality or it happens in a suburb or in a rural area. Like it's, it's very rare to see an opening like that where it actually takes place in a clearly urban environment. Yeah, and I just thought that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, even in other episodes where it's like 
out in the street somewhere. It's like a deserted alleyway where you don't have a clear sense mm -hmm. of um, just being urban in the same way. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, there are so many examples of them just being like an engineering apartment. And you know, it's an apartment, it's probably in a city, but the the actual view of the like bricks and the alleyway and everything um, from the boy's perspective uh, really sets this up as a urban versus rural dichotomy where there are these rural people who are coming in and taking people. And um, Jenkins, who is the prisoner that Sam talks to, who is a prisoner of the benders before Sam gets there, um, even makes a comment that it, he says it, it smells like the country, which I thought was a really interesting way to put that. Cause it's like, I mean, you can either take that really nicely. It's like, oh, fresh air. Or you'd be like, oh, it stinks out here. It's just like cow shit. Like <laughs> this is the country. And so there's this real sense of like, of rural urban divides that I found fascinating, especially if it just seems like a really two-dimensional, which of course it is. It's a very two-dimensional representation of a rural existence. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought it was really interesting. So to me, like the set design, um, the costume design, everything about the benders really screamed to me um, 1930s. Like it, oh, it yeah. seemed to evoke this idea of the Great Depression. Hmm. Um, in a very particular kind of rural poverty. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think like there's a reference in the episode, I think he says it was his grandfather or his great grandfather who started mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. um, which would line up with that time frame. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. And it's interesting to me as well that the Benders is the second season one episode to bring up the idea of cannibalism as a response to a lack of resources. Yes, after Wendigo, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, this idea that, um, you know, if you don't have any food, you'll eventually turn to eating other people, uh, which we know is a true thing that happens. Mm -hmm. And is something that people have a lot of anxiety over, so it's... <laughs> No surprise that Supernatural would have episodes about this, um, but this sense of an economic lack um, that sort of pervades mm -hmm. some of these early episodes is really interesting to me. Yeah, and I mean, the Benders are clearly in poverty, like the clothes they wear, the house being run down, um, and they're, they're clearly on the societal fringe. Um, and there's a lot of, um, there's obviously the references to cannibalism. Dean's like, uh, eat me. And he's like, wait, I forget you actually might, as well as like other references. Um, but there's also a lot of references to sexual deviation that sort of was surprising to me. There's a lot of references to incest. There's even, there's some homophobic um, references that Jenkins and Dean make about um, the benders and that sort of thing. And like, um, the sort of like the, the sexual fear is really like think clear with the benders, which is also really interesting. I think um, it's something that you see a lot, especially the incest, incest accusations um, with rural hillbillies. It's just really interesting that like, that they want, they like, they clearly wanted to borrow these, this imagery and like use it. Right. 
yeah it's going with that but <laughs> yeah, no i agree i think there's a lot of um there are a lot of things they say that sort of blur the line between homoerotic and homophobic mm-hmm. like um though that's sort of like the tightrope dean's character walks (laughs) (laughs) um i mean so for example like the pa bender whatever his first name oh i've just been calling him papa b (laughs) (laughs) Um, at one point he says to dean uh something about I should just let my boys take you right here and now, which is what Dean responds to by saying, eat me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's not framed as a positive interaction in any way. Oh no. Um, and so in that way, like there is this sense of, of homophobia because it is rejecting the idea that, um, you know, our hero could, engage in that sort of thing willingly like this like the marathon that supernatural has been on for the last 14 seasons (laughs) yeah without like diving into oh there's so much there we'll we'll have a whole episode on that um but mm -hmm. yeah i think it's interesting i agree it's really interesting that this there's a lot of sexual overtones to this episode Yes, in a way that, like, the other episodes we, we chose, and there could have, there are certainly a lot of sexual overtones in a lot of the other episodes in these seasons, but of the episodes that we chose to talk about, um, it really stands out, because there's not, um, you can make an argument that there is some homoeroticism subtext with the ghost facers, um, having male colleagues and that sort of thing, but for for the benders it's definitely like the sexual tensions are explicitly referenced with incest and um pretty blatantly um there's a lot of there's pretty blatant homophobic uh references like there's um i think jenkins at one point says uh psycho hillbilly rednecks looking for love in all the wrong places which is like so clearly a homophobic reference that it's like oh you're just really you're really hammering that one home yeah yeah and I think even um you know clearly this show is or this show this episode is drawing on the most dangerous game pretty heavily mm-hmm. yeah. um and I, even that source material that they're drawing from has uh to me sort of an overtone of homophobia and um anxiety about what other men will do to your body. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's an important thing to note that uh, all of the male, or all of the adult benders are male. There is exactly one female in the mix and she's a little girl, which I thought was really interesting, especially because again, it draws such a stark foil to the Winchesters. Like here is this very masculine, very domineering father figure who is teaching his sons how to hunt and telling them that, like, they need to do this thing regardless of what the, like, world thinks of them, and there's this, like, and there's, there's never a mention of the Bender Mother, which, okay, they're minor villain characters, like, we don't, we're not necessarily expecting to get into their whole background and whatnot, um, but I just, it, the lack of a mother with the Benders really stood out to me as a parallel for the lack of the Winchester mother. Yeah, I think, well, I, 
if I remember right, I think Dean or someone asks at some point, Mm. like, where's your mom? And there seems to be an implication that they ate her. I didn't get that, but I would believe that. It's interesting. So I had in my notes, um, because I was feeling pretty starky with Supernatural at this point, because I was like four episodes in and I hadn't it was before I'd seen a lot of more episodes, rewatched a lot more episodes, and I was like, Ugh, Supernatural can't handle, like, a complicated female character in, like, a mother hillbilly where, like, this, the, the concept of, like, a complicated female character is just too much for them. I think that the, the lack of the sort of maternal presence is, like, really interesting, especially in the context of hunting, which is a very... Again, as it comes back to that concept of masculinity. Like, it's a very masculine sort of thing. And um, and then Winchesters are seen as this sort of righteous thing because they're protecting the sort of... Um, well, not protecting, but avenging sort of sacred womanhood of of their mother, who is, is basically a saint by the terms of the show, um, uh, at least in the first five seasons. And um, a saint and a martyr. And so they have this, like, like, it's really interesting that, like, you would interpret, uh, there's that potential interpretation that they, that the benders themselves consumed the mother, because it's, it's such the opposite of what the Winchesters are going through, where they're, like, avenging this, like, idealized womanhood, sainthood sort of thing, whereas the benders are, like, no, they're going to consume it themselves. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting that you bring up gender, um, because I feel like one of the fatal mistakes that almost every uh, good guy character makes when interacting with the Benders is that they underestimate Missy. Yes. Um, They assume that she, because she's young and female, that she um, must be good or an unwilling participant um, or sympathetic to them or whatever. And she's mm-hmm. very clearly not. Yeah. Um, Although that, that does stand an interesting conflict with Kathleen, who um, is the female cop that Dean enlists to help uh, get to the benders um, because she is clearly uh a, an ally character and, um, in a section of the show where they don't have a lot of allies. And um, it's also interesting to contrast Kathleen with the um, female cop from The Usual Suspects, where they both follow the exact same arc, essentially, where they are um, where they are initially reluctant to join the Winchesters, and then they realize that there's more going on, and then they decide to help the Winchesters, and even down to the detail of, like, them killing somebody at the end. Like, yeah. um, it's it's a very clear, like, exactly the same arc. And so it's interesting that in these instances that a lot of the times the, like, the ally characters are women, which is something that I think drops off a lot after... Bobby is introduced to the show because Bobby really begins to fulfill that role for them. But in the early episodes, it's definitely like a lot of women characters. Yeah, I agree. And I would say um, in particular, when we look at characters who are authority figures or 
part of some sort of societal institution, like across the board, um, they're viewed with a lot of suspicion, except in the case of women. Um, mm -hmm. Like if there is a reasonable authority figure on the show, it is almost always a woman. Yes. Unless it's Bobby. <laughs> Unless it's Bobby, which is interesting because Bobby fulfills sort of a paternal role. Right? I mean, yeah, the Winchesters, the Winchester brothers clearly have a lot of daddy and mommy issues. So. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that's actually, that's also interesting to me. I was thinking about, um, so I did, as part of my anthropology major, I did a study on um, the idea of home, and uh, one thing that came to light in one of my surveys is a lot of people, when they think about the ideal American household and family, one of the things that's really important to them in that American dream ideal is this idea of adult children who return to the home and bring whatever partners or children they have with them mm. back into the family home. And Supernatural, in many ways, is almost the opposite of that. Um, these are, it really heavily focuses on two brothers who have lost one parent and have, in many ways, been abandoned by the other mm -hmm. uh, and don't have a home to go back to. Um, and don't have a household to return to. Mm -hmm. If anything, the parents have left the household, and they're what remains. Yeah, um, which is especially definitely very clear when it's revealed throughout the rest of the show that Dean raised Sam. Like, there is, in no uncertain terms, Dean was Sam's mother and father. And so it's, it's really interesting, especially because the show is so clearly about just the two of them. And... This is emphasized by so many other characters being killed off or removed um, that um, that they are their own family unit and that Dean really fulfilled that function for Sam. And Dean doesn't have anybody to fill the, fulfill that function for him. Right. Yeah, even characters we see temporarily fulfill that function for Dean um, eventually die or leave. Although I will say that... Um, I would argue that the central theme of the show at, or the central question of the show is what would you, what is it appropriate to do for family to which the answer is emphatically anything. And I see that like that starts from the, from ep season one, episode one and goes through. And like, I would say if we were going to say anything about supernatural is that the central theme is definitely family and that, family really like the bonds of family really subvert any other morality and i think that's really interesting in the benders where kathleen who is a cop who is seen as this like bastion of morality and like the reason that she decides to go with dean is because he says i'm missing my brother and kathleen lost a brother to the benders and in the end mm -hmm. she kills the bender because he killed her brother and which for a cop to do, well, you can say a lot about cop and like police brutality and like all that sort of thing, but to have this character who is clearly seen as this like bastion of morality mm -hmm. and who is set up as that subvert 
what we what is established as horror morality for the purposes of the family sends a very clear message that family is the central good of the show. It is the only morality that matters. Yeah, I guess I would argue that as on and we see how I, I agree that in seasons one and two that is absolutely the case um but i would argue the show begins to subvert that mm -hmm. um as we see how dean and sam's um self-sacrificing devotion <laughs> other eventually causes almost the end of the world it, that's that's a good point like it really starts out that like family is the like main thing and that's the most important thing but it definitely does go on to subvert that and then you can see that a, a lot with this cycle of like sacrificing oneself like d sam dies so dean sacrifices himself and then sam tries to sacrifice himself for dean and so on and so forth and the show continuously highlights how other characters feel like that's really fucked up. <laughs> like, even Crowley's like, you guys are way too codependent on each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, I think you're right that it sets up this idea of um, family and brotherhood is the ultimate good. And then it quickly says, no, 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 wait. Yeah, especially well, with the role of Cass and Bobby as both found family, um, characters especially with bobby because bobby is not uh dean and sam's father at all um and has no blood relation but he really steps up and becomes the surrogate father for dean and sam and particularly dean who really needs a father um when john essentially abandons them yeah and i think the show provides us with templates for people dealing with loss and sacrifice in much healthier ways um so for example john winchester for all of his faults sacrifices himself um, in order to allow dean to live and i would argue that that's presented in a pretty unambiguously positive light um as I opposed mean, to mm -hmm. dean and Sam sacrificing themselves for each other it's true that, like, John's sacrifice is really the only one that doesn't get later reversed, but at the same time, it's, it's clearly a source of tension for Dean going forward. Like, um, we didn't examine Faith, and within the fa episode Faith, Dean is really, really struggling with the concept of sacrificing somebody's else, somebody else's life for himself, and they explicitly talk about it, and, like, it's clear that this is something that just, like, eats away at him and i think that honestly like that's the first subversion of this like sacrifice narrative where instead of dealing with the like nobility of the sacrifice we're left to deal with the consequences of it right i agree um but i think that i think in some ways that's part of the reason i'm able to see john's sacrifice as being positive mm -hmm. because it's not something where it's just like um now it's my turn to sacrifice for my brother. Mm -hmm. it, you know, very clearly um, a difficult moral question that mm -hmm. the characters have to struggle with and come to terms with. Yeah. I'd like to quickly move on to um, a couple things I think we should hit on. Um, yes. Yeah, sorry. I keep getting distracted by interesting things. There's so much to talk about. I think five episodes might be too much. <laughs> 
so I think we should talk about 9-11. We definitely need to talk about 9-11, yeah. <laughs> pretty important. Um, right. No, I think we should just set up, um, I feel like one of the other major themes in Supernatural, mm -hmm. obviously, is um, this idea of fate and free will. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we should probably address that. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I don't think there's that much evidence of fate versus free, well, there is, but like, that's really something that's that's really harped on in the like later seasons. So we can definitely we can definitely talk about how it's how it's sort of set up, but like like fucking I they call themselves Team Free Will later on. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to me that pretty early on it's like pretty clearly established that fate is both like a real thing that exists and something that you don't just have to go along with. That's fair. Okay, yeah, but let's, uh, let's talk about 9-11 first. Okay. <laughs> we need to talk about 9-11. <laughs> it's like we need to talk about Kevin, but... Let's okay. address the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room. So, Supernatural came out in 2005. 9-11 um, was 2001. Uh, so, four years after 9-11, still looming really large in the public imagination. And I think that um, it's amazing how starkly... Phantom Traveler as an episode is meant to address this exact thing in a way of like talking about it without actually really talking about it. Yeah, and I would argue in some ways, like 2005 is really towards the beginning of when we see people being able to deal with 9-11 enough to address it explicitly like this. Um, I think... To backtrack a little bit, um, you know, obviously 9-11 is sort of the defining factor in separating the 90s as a cultural decade from the 2000s as a cultural decade. Mm -hmm. um, and the impact 9-11 had on our culture really can't be understated. Um, you know, there's a reason that even though Buffy and Supernatural, for example, are very similar shows, they have very different vibes. Buffy is very clearly a product of the 90s, and Supernatural exists in this post-9-11 moment. Mm -hmm. and, um, one other thing that seems very striking to me about Supernatural is the lack of trust in institutions, which is, I think, always been an American trait, but we see this a lot where... Um, Dean and Sam are constantly making fun of the cops for not knowing about the supernatural, um, especially in the pilot we see that when they're talking to the cops on the bridge who find the victim's car. Um, they, are, they often imitate um, law enforcement and often don't pay a lot of respect to law enforcement and other institutions. And even the like concept of them as vigilantes really undermines the strength of institutions and like um specifically because their entire um their entire existence is basically based around that the fact that institutions don't know anything about what they know about right yeah there's a very clear rejection of societal institutions um you know, not just law enforcement, um, but, you know, when we look at episodes that deal with, um, like, 
mental hospitals mm -hmm. uh, or prisons or prisons or um even when they pose as journalists like there's mm -hmm. a clear rejection of these sort of figures that play a part in the configuration of societal institutions which i mean is is also established pretty clearly by their lifestyle like they don't own a house they they exist through hustling and credit card fraud there's obviously a lot of um just there's a lot of um almost mockery of institutions like like when when dean is talking about the credit card fraud he's like well it's not my fault they keep sending it like um like the way that they play all the systems they encounter so flawlessly like when sam escapes in the usual suspects from police custody he's not using any supernatural abilities at that point he just straight up escapes and he doesn't make it look hard <laughs> like <laughs> like it's right. like the cops and like all institutions in this unless it's a hunter institution are portrayed as completely clueless and completely mm -hmm. inept yeah and um i think when we look at the way that they even interact with things like um internet culture or popular mm -hmm. culture dean in particular um you know, so we see in Hell House, we see Dean and Sam playing sort of old-fashioned style pranks on each other. <laughs> and then they have this encounter with a more modern internet prank culture um, and sort of tall tale culture. Uh, and one is clearly presented as superior to the other. And it's also interesting in Hell House because it like the way that phantom travers traveler is so clearly about 9 11 hell house is so clearly about the internet it's so clearly about um the lack of faith in institutions and the fact that information is now clearly available to people and that not even information but the like creation of information and who decides what's true as really in the hands of somebody like the ghost facers which is clearly a huge societal anxiety uh, for this time period and um it's really interesting to me how clearly supernatural lays that out and how house how does it the website is really the the source of the evil in in the episode right yeah yeah and it also um you know, it looks at the different factors that play a role in legitimizing that, right? Mm -hmm. Like other people talking about it online, the ghost facers themselves um, making a vlog about it. Yeah. And also, I think this is pre YouTube, right? Like 2005? I think that's pre YouTube. I think it is. <laughs> oh my God, it's so old. <laughs> when was YouTube? YouTube? I know it's, it's pre iPhone because iPhone was 2008. Which, seeing Sam rock that Blackberry is so funny. <laughs> oh, so YouTube was founded in 2005. So it's like the exact same year. Same age. So Supernatural and YouTube are the same age, people. Just so you know. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think these are all factors um, mm -hmm. that are at play in this early 2000s culture. Mm -hmm. You know, 9-11, the mm -hmm. internet. Um, yeah. I think there's also like a pretty 
clear rejection of um, previous cultural mores. Like it's been talked about a lot how in the 2000s, um, things became commonplace on TV, like jokes and styles of humor that wouldn't have been acceptable before. <laughs> there are a lot of comparisons between the 2000s and the 1920s. Hmm. I also think it's interesting because Supernatural is um, in some ways a very gory show sometimes mm -hmm. and a lot of the times they like pan away when the actual like killing takes place but the show is not squeamish about showing bloody people or blood on the main characters or death in any capacity so it's pretty um, I mean it's pretty graphic not I don't know if it's necessarily that graphic for the standards of the time, but it definitely, I think it stands out in having some pretty graphic stuff. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think it can be hard to remember that when you think about, like, Game of Thrones and things yeah. like today, but, like... Yeah, looking back, not so much, but for the yeah. time. Yeah, for the time. And even, like... Even if you compare Supernatural to shows that are currently airing on networks like CBS and the CW, like it's very graphic. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the time it was airing, like fantasy TV shows weren't really a big thing mm -hmm. aside from Buffy. It's interesting. Would you classify Supernatural as a fantasy TV show? I think I would. Oh, I think I would call it um, either horror fantasy or fantasy horror, depending on the episode. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, the horror has to be in there. I don't <laughs> think I don't think Supernatural is getting out of that horror like label <laughs> anytime soon. Yeah, but I think like to me, Supernatural is pretty clearly low fantasy. Um, it's, it's it's very urban fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I. It's so rural, I don't want to use the term urban fantasy. Okay, but it is urban fantasy in, in the setting. Like, I would, I mean, it depends on how you define the genre of urban fantasy, but, like, you can make the, it's modern famous fantasy, which is urban fantasy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would, I probably am just going to stick with low fantasy. Okay, that's fair. That's more technically correct, I guess. <laughs> you can have it. I'll let you have it. Um, I, think, I think it's also, like, part of my reluctance to call it urban fantasy um, is, I really like urban fantasy, obviously. Um, yeah, and I, I really don't, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like urban fantasy focuses a lot on urban themes um and it's very interested in looking at how the fantasy world integrates into an urban setting or the tensions created by it failing to integrate into an urban setting mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways i would say urban fantasy is sort of a spiritual successor to the noir genre of the 1950s. Oh, yeah, no, I could totally see that. I'm not, I mean, while Supernatural definitely has some noir elements, mm -hmm. it, I don't think, has very many fantasy elements. If anything, it's like the inversion of Star Trek, where Star Trek is a fantasy with uh, sci-fi 
trappings. It's it's a it's a horror show with some like some fantasy trappings. Like there's magic and that sort of thing in it, but it's really a horror show with just a bit of that aesthetic. Yeah, I guess to me, like like supernatural, the creatures that it deals with um, are so part and parcel of folklore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I would say it's very much fantasy, but it's a different kind of fantasy that I would expect to experience in an urban fantasy setting. Hmm. It, it's heavily focused on folklore and legends. It's not really interested in the rules of magic. It wants <laughs> to think about um, the stories that people have told for thousands of years. Hmm. Yeah, it just doesn't, like, uh, such such a huge component of fantasy for me is wish fulfillment, and Supernatural doesn't really have that aspect. There's no, there's no nostalgia in Supernatural. I, that's not true, actually. There's a lot of nostalgia in Supernatural, but it's for, like, the 70s and the 60s for, um, with uh, Dean's aesthetic and his uh, commitment to, to classical rock and the Impala and everything. Like, that's really where the nostalgia of the series lies. And Yeah, I would say, though, like, Supernatural, part of the way it establishes itself as um, a horror show Mm-hmm. Is it inversion of nostalgia or the way it takes nostalgia and makes it horrifying? Right. Right. Like it takes the pastoral of and turns it into the rural horror of the benders or it right. takes like the modern convenience of flight and turns it into the horror of the phantom traveler. Right. Or, and Explicitly, the Phantom Traveler, the demon in that, is said to be ancient. Right. Or in the pilot, it takes um, the nostalgia of um, motherhood and the family unit and Mm. makes it this horrifying um, caricature. Yeah, caricature. That's a good word for it horrifying caricature of what we were expecting. Especially because the woman in white is specifically about a woman whose husband is unfaithful to her and then she kills her children. Like, it's a very, very specific trope of the, like, inversion of motherhood, which is also really interesting to pair with, like, the lack of motherhood that Dean and Sam experience and, like, the dying of their, their mother dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would say to me that, yeah, Supernatural is fantasy, low fantasy, and pretty explicitly not urban fantasy in the way that I would define urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. I mean, mini rant about the whole, like, them getting the sample of sulfur off of the plane crash. Yeah. Um, they take a sample, and then they put it under a microscope. And so it's not going to tell you if it contains sulfur. (laughs) And I saw this and I was so pissed. (laughs) I was like, that's not how you do it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. 
Um, I think the the way that that scene pokes fun at CSI is just brilliant, though. Like, I I know that it's incredibly frustrating for you, but I found it hilarious. I mean, I did like the bit where, like, Sam's got it on his finger, or Dean's got it on his fingers, and he just wipes it off on Sam. Like, that was hilarious. And it... It definitely does a good job of poking fun at CSI. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, that contradiction between Sam carefully taking the sample and not touching it and Dean's like, wipe. <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I know I focused a lot on Buffy the Vampire Slayer here. Mm-hmm. This isn't a show that you've seen a lot of. No, that's fine, though. I think it's important for us to sort of bring up Buffy in this context as well as CSI because to me like those really seem to be the TV shows that Supernatural was reacting to. As a whole yes I mean there's also like clear references to the X-Files and several other things. It also does a really good job of adapting to the um, to whatever is popular at the time like um, the Ghost Facers are a very, very clear parody of Ghost Hunters, which came out in 2004. So it's only a year or two after that TV show aired that Supernatural is then making a parody of it. So they move pretty quick when it comes to individual pieces of culture that they're uh, responding to. Mm-hmm. We should probably do an outro. Yes. Okay, so... Um, so I'd say that... Um, big takeaway from our conversation is that Supernatural as a horror show uh, draws really strongly on the peri- uh, on the social anxieties and the cultural moment in which it aired in. And this is clearly seen with the influence of 9-11 as well as economic downturns and the invention of the, well, the popularization of the internet as well as the cultural uh, moment into which it was entered, which is um, the ending of Buffy the Vampire Slayer around that time, as well as um, several other cultural shows like CSI and Ghost Hunters, and it takes all of those, all of that cultural and historical moment, and it really uh, speaks a lot to the anxieties of the early 2000s, especially in the early seasons. Yeah, I agree, um, and I think that as we progress, we'll see other ways in which um, Supernatural is addressing both uh, anxieties and fears, as well as hopes, and mm-hmm. not to be too on the nose, but dreams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty excited for our next episode, which is going to focus on heroism and the notion of independence. Um, and Hopefully we will see you folks then. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have, because we certainly enjoyed it. And um, feel free to check us out um, on Tumblr or some anywhere. Um, we'll post some links in the uh, in the episode description if you want to get in contact us with us and ask us any questions about uh, what we've said. If you just go to our Tumblr, um, which is dreams of the past podcast.tumblr.com then you will find us and you can send us a message um also feel free to um 
rate us on iTunes if you feel so inclined. That really helps us with uh, finding new audience. And yeah, it just helps us out a lot. And if you've got any friends who like Supernatural, uh, let them know if you liked what you heard. Thanks, you all.